0: So apparently we all need to do online courses. (laughs) If you're thinking of one, halfway through one, or have done one and you hate it, just stay tuned because Glenn Long knows his stuff and it's a really insightful chat we have. And also, how on earth did he end up writing material for Henry VIII being played by Brian Blessed? Yeah, he's got a backstory. Yes! Take you have to find you be you and let them see you welcome to the make it real podcast this is trisha lewis your host i speak to loads of fascinating individuals who've built their own businesses or just have loads of experience and story to share you'll get tips insights you'll get motivated is there anybody out there that is either doing considering doing or has given up on doing an online course Ta-da! stay tuned you're going to discover all about this but in ways that you might not even consider you need to know about from my guest and it is the lovely Glenn Long, who lives literally about three centimeters away from me. Um, but we're <laughs> here on Zoom. And his main headline on LinkedIn is hype free help with online courses. However, he also has quite an interesting little backstory, which I'm rather excited about um, him sharing with you, listeners. So, story time is about to come up as well. <laughs> okay, Glenn, hello.
1: Hello, Trisha.
0: Hello, Trisha. That's it's great. It's an almost like Butlin star. We got we got the energy. <laughs> More going. of a Pontins,
1: man. Actually, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, <yeah>, point taken.
0: <laughs> um, so I've now teased the listeners about your backstory, but I mean, there were just a few words that just sort of leapt out of your LinkedIn profile. I thought, oh, hang on a minute. I mean, one of them was BBC comedy. One of them was. Um, Improvise stuff at Edinburgh University, and I, I just thought, whoa, 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 whoa! I need to get. <laughs> um, obviously, I've got a bit of a bias when it comes to anything that talks about theatre or comedy. But let's um, let, let's just tell the listeners a bit about this part of your evolution.
1: Sure. Um, so. For many years, I did have a love of comedy and dabbled a little bit with um, a bit of performing at university, a little bit of writing, and it was always a a passion of mine. I was into, you know, Monty Python. I was a guy listening to the parrot sketch a hundred times rather than sort of listening to cool music when I was a teen and and growing up. So at university, I dabbled a bit in, uh, was on the fringes of footlights, so people like, David Mitchell and uh, Rob Webb and those sorts of people were, were sort of in my uh, sphere, if you like. So got some experience on stage with the likes of those guys. And they obviously took it a little bit further than I did, but there we go. I also apparently was in uh, a, around the same time as Sasha Baron Cohen, but I didn't actually know that at all. Apparently at the time he was just very theatre based, wasn't doing any comedy. Um, but that was a sort of the backdrop to it doing uh, sketches and hiring theatres and doing that kind of stuff and then went up to Edinburgh to do another degree where the comedy was improvised comedy rather than written sketch comedy so got very involved in that and we were talking in the in the pre-chat I was saying to uh uh, saying to you how I kind of had a bit of a career in reverse in that as a as a young student comedian just mucking about on stage we had the wonderful bedlam theatre 50 people every saturday night and we we're, were playing to these reliable crowds and just loving it and then later uh, in life went down to london to do the same thing and we were sort of scrabbling to get 10 people <laughs> together in a pub in balham uh, <laughs> to to sort of watch what we were doing and it kind of went downhill from from there really um but yeah, just had a love of comedy. But leaving university, decided that it, it probably wasn't the my, my best way of, uh, you know, paying the rent and stuff like that. So had a fairly um, sort of standard career doing IT stuff. But that comedy bit never really uh, left me, and I was writing sketches and working with some other friends to submit things. We almost got something on BBC Two with Tiger Aspect, and that was super exciting. And then that fell through. Uh, and a few years later. I just thought i've really got to give this a good crack of the whip otherwise i'm going to be you know i'll be on my deathbed wondering why i never did the comedy thing um so i took five years off and uh, got a, a a script um got an agent got a writing agent and the pinnacle of my little career was uh, i came up with a good friend of mine we came up with a, a series called henry 8.0 which the cons the high concept of it was that uh, Henry VIII, with all of his foibles and obsessions and and sort of uh, trolling uh, tendencies, was alive and well, living in suburbia and obsessed with social media and Facebook and Twitter and all, all those things and was trolling the Pope on Twitter and doing all this kind of stuff. But my friend and I pitched it to the BBC. They loved it. Uh, My friend, who's more of the acting part of it, uh, of the equation, was going to be Henry. And the BBC said, we love it, but we've got one adjustment. Um, Would you mind if Brian Blessed played (laughs) Henry VIII? Um, And I was never going to be in the thing, so I definitely didn't have an objection to that. My friend Mark said, well, if you're going to be replaced by anybody as Henry VIII, let it be Brian Blessed. Um, and we had two mini series, web series of, of that. The first one was just him at his home, um, slating people through his webcam and getting very uh, irate on Twitter. And uh, the second one, little series, was where he was on a caravanning holiday with his long suffering wife. Um, and we had like six episodes, I think, of each, of each one. And it was brilliant fun. And without going into too much detail, Brian Blessed was exactly as you would imagine and only more, you know, more so. Um, It was a a brilliant time.
0: Oh, this is just bliss. What a (laughs) fabulous story. By the way, that first university listeners was Cambridge University, in case you hadn't picked up on the subtlety of that. Um, Glenn is not the kind of person to, uh, you know, sort of make a big deal about his... Um, education but I think that is a big deal and I just and I've been to Edinburgh to the festival about three or four times I know the Bedlam Theatre that would be absolutely delightful to do improv in and I also have um, been in fringe theatre in little pubs like Baron's Court for instance oh and yeah, the, yeah really tiny um you know on the Baron's Court
1: people in the <laughs> and, uh, little Venice what's the one in the, the uh <laughs> Yep.
0: Doing Ibsen, which I've got to say, Glenn, was not funny. <laughs> um, so so I, I, I quickly discovered it was more fun to do um, fun, knee stuff because uh, better for the. And it's interesting that you talk about, look, I have to make I have to give this a go, because I think for all listeners, you know, with that sense of without putting too much pressure on yourself, you know, but there is a sense of do I really want to be on my deathbed thinking? fiddlesticks i should have given that a go um so always good to just have that little um, nudge every now and then and possibly stepping out of a few comfort zones but it's quite funny because i actually toured a play um in which Jane Austen was alive and well in, okay. <laughs> in the current century um, and also involved social media and all sorts of things. So I don't, I'm now, my brain has gone into overload. I'm figuring out how we can get your actor friend back in, doing Henry VIII, <laughs> forget Brian Blessed, I'll be Jane Austen, somehow we're pair up. It's It's got legs, Glenn.
1: It, it was insane at the time, but it was brilliant fun. And I, a couple of times I sat there and thought, Am I really getting paid to this? At one point, I think there was a papal visit to London, and I was being paid by the BBC to tweet live as Henry VIII, as Brian Blessed, as Henry VIII for a, a, a half a day. Um, and I think I've still got access. To, probably shouldn't say this. I think I've still got access to his, his Facebook account, anyway. So oh my It was, God. It was very. So, I mean,
0: uh, as much as as much as I think we could talk about this for the rest <laughs> of the day, um, and I, I do. You've just reinvigorated my creative uh, theatre juices. But but let's let's get frightfully business like now, then, <laughs> please. Thank you very much. Enough of this frivolity. Um, but the point is, we need to have fun see what I did there that was like a sort of seamless thank you (laughs) um we we need to have fun in our business don't we business yes because otherwise we're not really motivated to continue through all the grindy horrible bits that we have to and you know the days where we think what the heck am I doing so I think that is an important um, connection that we're making there and if you are thinking I'm going to put this to you, Glenn, if somebody out there is thinking, oh, God, apparently I've got to do an online course. I've got to do it. Everyone's doing online courses. Would that be a good starting point?
1: Generally not. Not in my view, anyway, because I think there's a lot of pressure. There's an entire industry out there, I think, that is designed to persuade almost everybody and their dog, um, maybe the co-teaching with the dog on an online course Um, that's going to make them a fortune and um, there's a lot of hype I think that makes people lead with the idea of an online course so sometimes I come across people say I really want to build an online course and I say oh great you know why what problem are you solving and then the conversation falters a little bit and it's because they've been told they should have one I think you'd go back when I first started doing stuff in IT in the 90s people would say oh I really want a website for my business but then when you would say well okay why what do you want it to do for you um I don't know just somebody's told me I need a website and there's a similar thing going on with with online courses
0: that's a perfect Um, example actually we kind of forget we move on but we can't forget that is exactly the kind of (laughs) crazy thing that we would do um so so yeah so a better place to start would be just thinking to yourself what, what what's this about for for me here and for them and for where i'm at now
1: yeah i think sometimes the online course should be the uh, you know the solution to a problem that you already have, rather than the problem being I don't have an online course and I should have one. So, for instance, if you're a small business owner and you're you know you're you're successful and you're getting results for people, but the problem that you have is that you filled all of your like billable working hours in the day and maybe you're getting a little bit tired going through the same principles with the same people. An online course might be a solution there because you can put people through your online course to teach them some of the basics or to go through the principles that you have to go through with everybody. And then it frees up a little bit more of your time. It might also allow you to work at arm's length with somebody who couldn't frankly afford you, um, you know, in, in a normal case. And it's a way of saying, well, you can't afford my you know, extortionate one-to-one package. But maybe if you start off with my online course, then you'll get a lot of the benefit. And you'll also find that people are more inclined to work with you because they feel like they already know you. In fact, that's a quote I got from a, a friend who's created a course. And she upsell has a cheap course, but upsells to like a coaching package. And they said, oh, Jill, I feel like I already know you. So by the the course has already warmed them up to your methods and your personality. Ah,
0: well, another seamless link then, (laughs) and this is brilliant. I feel like I already know you. This is a really important ingredient of um, all of our relationship building that is a very important marketing um, thing, okay? But often when people use the word marketing, and I... amongst these people, we go into a very strange place (laughs) of of dread, fear and anger and frustration and loathing, um, which is unnecessary, really, and and exaggerated. And what it needs is a reframe. So this, for those of us who are not overly pulled in by the idea of selling ourselves, um, because of whatever crazy ideas we've got about it, okay this actually like you've just said is a brilliant vehicle if you if you've got the right reasoning behind it we've been through all that that's that's, a, that's where you got to start not because someone's told you to do it so you've got to this stage and actually another benefit of this is that you are marketing by giving value and for most of the people that I know including myself that is more or less the only way we feel comfortable doing it so this is a brilliant uh marketing tool actually to have in your tool bag
1: it it is I mean to give an example I've uh, over the last sort of couple of months I've been teaching just as a reputation builder, I've been teaching a free course about online courses, which in itself I realise is a little bit meta. It's a, uh, it's a little bit inception-like, but I've had two, 300 people, at least at the start of the process. And I've just been doing that. I mean, I hate the phrase giving value, but I've been you know, giving value to people without really expecting very much in return. And what's happened is by the end of that, I've certainly got a cluster of people who are really into what I'm doing and trust what I'm doing. And I had a a, a client drop right out of the end of that process where they were just like, where do I sign up? Because they'd spent eight weeks going through knowing my style and probably the people who were turned off by that have already left. So you're just left with these people who feel like they really, really know and trust you. And then you don't end up having those conversations where you're sort of chasing clients around or you're, you're haggling over money. They're just like, I'm convinced that I wanna work with you. Just tell me what working with you costs and we'll just do that thing.
0: Exactly.
1: The only the thing that I learned, which I think was in front of my eyes all the time, was you just need to have the, the faith that doing that work will lead to something. The scary place is when you're putting all that love out there and it hasn't paid off yet. And the fear is it won't pay off. And I've spent three months not charging people for anything. So you sort of chase around for clients that maybe aren't a good fit. Whereas if you just do the work, do what you're best at you will attract those people i know we've all heard that but the difference between hearing it and believing it and acting in a way that's consistent with it is is a world apart i think
0: that that is quotable what you just said and 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 is like a major part of what what i feel is actually i am role playing as a message <laughs> because i have had exactly those moments where i think oh for goodness sake this is ridiculous i'm just giving all this blinking value and wonderfulness (laughs) away and everybody thinks I'm lovely well that's great isn't it well maybe I'm not that lovely and you know you go into a very strange mental place Um, but I'm not alone in this because I've had this conversation with clients Um, and so that moment where it begins to actually all make sense is a delight and the fact is you've now achieved it in a way that feels comfortable and that means that you can continue achieving it in that way because if if you'd achieved it any other way you wouldn't want to carry on doing it by putting ads here or doing whatever
1: and it makes the whole thing a lot more comfortable you don't like you but it says I mean I hate all that stuff that that turns people off against marketing I hate getting on calls having to sell myself and persuade in fact I find what I do is I get on a call I just kind of do like a credibility dump and just go here's all the reasons I'm brilliant and then even as you're saying it you know it's not what somebody really wants to hear but you feel like you're selling or you know and um if you can have a pre-relationship in a way that you've built up just through putting stuff out there, it just shortcuts that whole thing. And you're, you're not ever feeling like you're selling or pushing or anything like that. It's just a, Hey, you know, let's work together. It's Brilliant. As as that. Brilliant.
0: So, I, so I, so we've actually uncovered a sort of another um, potential motivator for doing an online course, which makes, which might make a lot of sense to a lot of our listeners. So Having got to this stage, and it's quite interesting because you say, I feel like I know you already. So coming back to that phrase, um, which, of course, speaks right into what I go on and on about being real. Um, and that sounds trite in two words, but I people know what I mean by that by now. Um, aligned, congruent, all the rest of it. Um, that, of course, is how we've got to approach the creation of this course. So. Um, I will tell the listeners that you very kindly cast your eye very briefly over my skeleton outline for a course that I'm currently creating. Hopefully, uh will be out soon. If you're listening to this podcast over a <laughs> year's time, I sincerely hope it's out there and doing jolly well. Anyway, this course, um, I had only got to the stage of doing the sort of module, modules and lessons, you know, outlining it. And you looked at the titles that i have given to these modules and the lessons within these modules. And you quite rightly picked me up on the fact that they were, A, not really taking somebody quite on a journey in the way they could. And B, weren't really totally my kind of words and language. So that's an important starting point, isn't it?
1: I think it is. And we, however much we know, it's important to be authentic. When you step into a new role, I think you can't help but assume the characteristics you assume that people doing that sort of thing do like it gels very closely with what with your video course and I'm really keen to take another look at that but before just as the pandemic was kicking off I had a group of people that I was going to do some live public speaking workshops with just for fun I've got a history and toastmasters loved all that stuff there isn't a toastmasters group really near here so I was about to set up a little workshop and then covid hit so a few people said oh well why don't you do it on zoom and initially I thought well that's not exactly the point of it was to be in person but anyway we did a few sessions and it was just a group of us getting more comfortable on on camera and the starting point was uh, a lot of people just trying to be like how they think people who are confident to be on video act and people were saying to me Glenn it's good but it's not the you that we know and it took quite a while to just drop that facade and just be yourself with all your quirks and, and foibles. And I think it's the same thing with a course, somebody who could be like in, incredibly authentic in their one-to-one relationships. would go into a course thinking, oh, I've got my teacher's hat on now. And there's certain things that teachers do. And it come, becomes a little bit drier and maybe a bit more formal and a bit more academic. Whereas actually that's kind of the opposite that you that you want, of uh, what you want to do. And it's just realizing that the same rules really apply in course it's not really a different world just be yourself make sure your focus is on the person you're talking to not on yourself um and it will all come out in the wash it's
0: uh, that is such such spot on um insight because it's it's a conversation and so when i talk to people about public speaking as it's called you know i do try to get them to think of it as a conversation and you know i was um talking to somebody only this morning jules white who a lot of people will know and um, i'm taking part in a challenge that she's doing over the next week or so and she was describing doing your pitch as really she was talking about it being a conversation because she was talking about asking questions and people look at you and think well it's only me speaking how how am i supposed to ask questions that doesn't make any sense it does because actually you can ask questions and you then answer them as well but you you know and and in a way that is what you're doing with any of these they are all forms of communicating with your audience so you don't forget that just because it's an online course it somehow gets put into a slightly different as you say sort of weird teacher box thing that isn't that doesn't flow at all and and I guess that also speaks to not over it.
1: It does. I think that sometimes the complication comes from just not having a clear idea of what the outcome is. And particularly with your first online course, there's a lot of pressure to almost teach everything you know. And there's also a pressure to, to over-deliver. You want to delight people. But actually what you end up doing is just overwhelming them. Overwhelm is the number one problem for um poor course completion people get in there all excited about what they might learn and where they might get and then they see you know 96 28 minute lessons and they're like oh my goodness is going to take me the rest of my life to get through this and they plug away and they get a little bit of the way through and then they just quit. And the thing is, they often blame themselves rather than the course creator because they just feel they're not up to the task, which reinforces the fears that they had in the first place. And everybody's a bit miserable. You know, the course creator doesn't get any results. The course buyer doesn't get their results. Whereas if you just really focus on a, a, a clear outcome, one hopefully that is, you um, you know, the change is visible in the outside world, even if it's something like an internal change and you, it's a, confidence building course you think well what are the exterior signs of that extra confidence that's kind of where we're heading we want a result where not only do you know you've got it but the people around you go my goodness since you took that course I've really noticed how you're more confident selling yourself or in this situation or that situation and once you focus on a very clear end result rather than just teaching the stuff that you know you can then build your course by saying is this lesson I want to include, is it essential in re- getting to that result? Because if it's not essential, it doesn't belong in the course. It doesn't matter if I like teaching it. It doesn't matter if it's fun. It doesn't matter if it shows how clever I am. Does it belong on the path to that result? And if it doesn't, leave it out. Maybe put it in another course because really people want the result. They want the, the, the fastest, most enjoyable path to that result. And that's your responsibility as a course creator is to get them there.
0: I love that I love that because it's funny you say about showing how clever (laughs) clever you are and and that is exactly a trap that uh, many people fall into not because they are and this is the thing listeners it's not because you're a Mr and Mrs clever clogs who want to show off it's because more likely you're worried that you are Um, not going to be taken seriously enough or that you somehow have to prove that you're um, knowledgeable on this subject. It's it's comes from more of a place of insecurity than anything like showing off. Okay. I mean, yes, there will be course creators who are delighted at showing off I'm sure, but that's not, I think the listenership to this podcast. It's not me. It's not you. So if we fall into that trap, it's not because we're trying to show off. It's because we're actually slightly insecure and trying to, I did this so much and I have had to really work hard at not over giving um, in all sorts of areas. In fact, I did a five day challenge. No, I didn't. I made it a five week challenge. <laughs> and I thought that is so typical what you've just done there, you have overdone it. Um, and people loved bits of it. Most people didn't stay through. Surprise, surprise. And they would have just liked to have spent more time just on one or two aspects of, of it. So, you know, and there were worksheets coming out of every, you know, corner. Um, so, this calming down, filtering down. What about, I suppose, the curse of knowledge thing is, is a problem, though, isn't it? Because also it works the other way in that you might think something is too obvious to put in there.
1: Which is exactly why you need to work with me, Trisha, because uh, I'm as interested, uh, but uh, a separate third party, I can say, well, that might seem obvious to you, but that will be a, a gap for other people. And that's actually one of the things that I've found with people that I've worked with who are great trainers, but they do it in person, and they're looking to package it up in a self-study form online. What I think is um, kind of undervalued or, or underappreciated, Is when you're teaching something live if there's a little gap in the knowledge somebody can raise their hand and they can say oh I don't quite get that what did you mean can you give us an example and you can in the moment paper over any cracks in your training and you may not even see them as cracks you probably just see it as as an interactive experience and that that's fine and there's a place for doing it like that but online especially if it's purely self-study, the minute people hit a point of confusion, they will stall and they will quit the browser and they will go away and maybe they'll come back or maybe they won't, but they'll have a, 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 a more negative experience of that, that course. And again, they'll probably blame themselves. And one of the things that I, my mentor in creating courses uh, told me sort of on the first day is, and whether this is totally true or not, I don't know, but it's a very good model is you, Think that if somebody's bought your course and they've made that commitment, they're full of excitement they get into your course, they've spent the money, they're raring to go. They're going to get the result, whatever, you know, come hell or high water, but actually they go into the course thinking, Oh, I've spent money. And am I up to this? And will I really get the result? Have I made the right decision? So they've kind of got doubts when they go in there, a little bit of excitement, but they also have a lot of doubts and they Anything that they see that reinforces those doubts will make them refund or, or, or you know, break away from the course. So really it seems like selling them the course is the start, is is the, the end goal, but actually it's really just the starting point. Once they're in there, you've got to keep persuading them that they're gonna get the result, that they've made the right decision. You want quick wins really early in the course so that they start getting that reinforcement of 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 progress and that's why one of the things i think i said to you Tricia, was just around even the course uh, the the lesson titles they need to be enticing you need to win them back every single lesson because they're doing it on their own time and they can drop out at any point for any reason so they need to have a good reason to get to get back in there
0: excellent oh that's such such good advice and it is it is a journey and um and that's that's a really important part of it that you can see that journey clearly. It's not all covered in blinking weeds and mystery doors and traps and <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) flying things that come down
1: (laughs) that's another sort of trap is that sometimes people are are so caught up in their method and it is important to have a, a a method people like that there's a repeatable process that you go through but sometimes they'll i'll ask people well what what are the main milestones on this journey and one of the milestones might be oh well they've you know they've met the four criteria on my so and so so and so process it's like, well, that means nothing to them on the outside of the course. Once they're inside, that might have some weight and meaning, but they won't get inside if they don't believe in the roadmap. So you've got to present a roadmap that is the journey as it is in their mind rather than in your mind. So you need to meet them exactly where they're at. The problem that they perceive they have its that old thing of. You know, um, sell them it sell them what they want, but give them what they actually need. But you need to earn the right to give them what they need by getting them in your damn course.
0: Brilliant, uh, and of course, this applies listeners across the board, doesn't it? To to, to introduction. To, uh you know, when you're introducing yourself at a networking event to when you're, you know, doing your profile, it, well, anything, your content, you know, that that same philosophy kind of applies. So it's actually a really good discipline doing stuff like this, because it makes you, if you do it properly, so don't waste all your effort in just sort of thinking, oh, well, I've got a plan and I've got this and I'm going to, as is, as you say, take them through this process and, you know, use it as a brilliant opportunity to actually deep dive into, what the heck it is you are doing and why you're doing it and what people understand which to be honest four and a half years into starting this business you know I am still working on on a daily basis because I think this is a it it, that might be consoling for listeners who think that they were supposed to have nailed exactly what their message is in the first three months of setting up a business (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it's a series of conversations, and it's it's honing it. And I really got caught up in this starting uh, my own business, which you sort of feel like you need to go away in your cave and have a think about exactly what service you're providing and how you're different. And then you need to emerge fully formed like a beautiful butterfly, and then that's who you are. But actually, you you guess, and then you put that guess in front of a few people and see how they react and then you go back in your cave for a couple of days and you you tweak it a little bit and it's that constant feeling of or process of 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 evolution
0: absolutely and And that's why you have to keep having conversations and also well, well in fact working backwards now before before you press go on all of this and start doing your videos and putting all that work in um i i mean i i've done this and i would think it would be a very important part the validation calls as they're called
1: absolutely yeah I mean the closer you can get to your audience the better speaking in the language that they use and just understanding what their what their problem is um, we had uh, the last company I was at smart blogger we went through uh f- basically our course development for many years was based on the instinct of, the, of John, the guy running it. And his instinct was very good, but it wasn't infallible. And sometimes we would create a course that actually there was no demand for. So we got to a point where we thought, right, we're gonna do it absolutely properly. We're gonna do the market research. We're gonna phone people up. So we'd get on the phone and had like 20 hour long interviews with, with target audience members. And you get so much out of that. And just a little shift in emphasis can be the difference between a really popular course and a really unpopular course. And we, what was the call? Yeah, we were doing a course about becoming a a, a freelance content marketer. So a writer for money, basically, in the content marketing sphere. And we initially started off with the idea that people just want to earn loads of money. And it is possible to earn loads of like six figures as as a really good strategic content marketer, so that's what we're going to target so it was going to be something like you know six figure writer or something like that but then when we got on the phone with people we found out that it was more it wasn't that they just wanted to make crazy money they wanted to either just create a side income which just gave them a little bit of flexibility in their job like if they lost their job they'd still be able to cover the mortgage it was that kind of stuff um, or they even if they wanted to give up their job, they just wanted to earn a reasonable amount like 50, 60 K a year dollars and have a bit more freedom in their life. And it just wasn't the goal that we thought. And the marketing for that, and even the content of the course, is very different from a we're going to teach you to be, you know, 100 K plus writer. It's just a different course and a mm. different audience. And the more that you can get on the phone with people. Uh, And you'd be surprised how often they'll just say, Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, you're interested in my opinion. Yeah, great. And if you have about 10 to 20 conversations, you will get to the point where you know the next person you speak to isn't going to say anything different to the last 20 that you spoke to. And that's the point at which you just go, right, I know what I need to know. That's
0: it. That is absolutely it. And um and teasing it a bit on things like LinkedIn is is all part of your marketing strategy anyway, because you don't do that like a sales thing, but the fact that you're reaching out a bit, maybe doing a little poll or whatever it is on the topic that you want to do the course on, all of that sort of adds to a your um people's you you getting proper reactions and comments that, as you say, use the language that you should then be using in the course. And you know, people will say, no, actually. Well, no that's not the bit I get weirded out a bit it's this bit and you think oh my god I didn't think that would be the bit they got weirded (laughs) out but that's fine it's it's so good it's so good and with every call you make you are obviously potentially you know somebody who wants to sign up and and um it's difficult maybe to niche down when you're doing a course because if you're if you're Service that you provide is is multi layered and all sorts. Where where do you place it? I mean that that's the problem I had. But the reason I've chosen the topic I've chosen isn't based on me sitting in a dark room thinking. Hmm, let me think now. It is based on the constant repetition of what people have said to me. <laughs> this is the thing that I really get freaked out about. This is the thing I wish I could get over. That you know. So job done um but yeah oh oh my gosh right so this is a great topic we could talk forever what i really want to do is start up an improv group with you and <laughs> that's the end of that really <laughs>
1: all right we'll just book somewhere shelly theater yeah,
0: we'll just do that i think i think that's what we'll do so um to be fair glenn i did start an improv group uh, a couple of years back and uh it, it was it was great and um I think I think you were just the missing ingredient. so <laughs> I'm putting that down as a yes so yeah, that's I'm, great I'm in, I'm yeah. in. Yeah. yeah he's in see he's in <laughs> so listeners you've got a treat coming up if you're in the uh in the Bournemouth area we we could actually do it in real life spaces and everything and then we could maybe take it up to London and do it in one of those pubs that no no, <laughs> no, 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 no. don't don't do this to me right this has just been brilliant so in terms of what you offer for people um, and why they might like to have more of a chat with you, do, do you just want to give us a summing up on that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm always happy to get on a Zoom call with somebody who's thinking of um, of creating an online course. And uh, more often than not, I might persuade you not to do it. Which, but I think that's a, that's a service to the world, I think, uh, rather than you going out and spending $2,000 on somebody's course and then realising that uh, courses aren't right for you. Because I think... It's hard work. You need to know why you're doing it and there's a way of doing it properly. And most people probably shouldn't create a course. So yeah, get on a call with me and we'll just chat about courses and I'll let you know if I think you should create one. in terms of what the services I offer, I mean, I anything from reviewing a course that's already been created to helping you get clarity around the course that you think you want to create, all the way through to mentoring you through the process and giving you some feedback on your scripts and your videos and helping you select a platform and, and that kind of thing. And as a, an easy first uh, sort of stopping off point, if you don't fancy having a chat, maybe you just go on my blog, which is www.evolved.biz. Uh, You can sign up for my newsletter and, um, you know, I share weekly thoughts on the state of online courses and uh, tips for anybody that wants to to put one together. But my main tip is start small. There are too many people that haven't created an online course before that try and create some epic Ben-Hur style course, (laughs) which even an expert would probably struggle to pull off. Um, start really small maybe a a free or very sort of cheap course just like an entry level lead generator and then build something a little bit bigger and then if you've still got the strength and the appetite by all means go for your life and create some flagship course but you'll go in with your eyes open having built a course before
0: just fabulous have you got any images from um, when you did the henry 8.0
1: uh yes i can probably dig something out in fact i was talking to somebody the other day who was who was keen to to see more of it i need to check out bbc probably still own the rights to a lot oh of yeah well there'll, be something if, out. there'll definitely if, be something out there
0: if we've got something i'll put it on my website with this yep. episode um but that was so just, much i'm just reminding people of how we started this conversation because i've still got that picture in my head of um of henry VIII and uh Brian Blessed and um, all of those Edinburgh adventures. Fantastic. So let the world open up again so we can have some more of those, please. Thank you very much. As much as online courses are great, let's face it, real life is kind of best, isn't it?
1: Looking forward to getting back to a little bit more uh, yeah. more real life. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'm not going to argue with that.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not trying to do you out of business. Obviously. No, not at all.
1: <laughs> not at all. I don't think there's, uh, yeah, and online courses are a way to uh, make maybe better use of your inside time, uh, have more time down the pub.
0: You got it. There we go, pub. That's a great ending place. Okay, have a good evening. And um, yeah, thanks very much. And I, I have thoroughly, and I'm sure the listeners have um, learnt and enjoyed from this conversation.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure, Tricia. Thank you very much. Yes.
0: Yes. Take action. Try this one small step. Go back to the drawing board. If you're falling into that trap of must do an online course, you're feeling frustrated it could be that you haven't really approached it with the why do i want to do an online course what do those people that i want to get to really need how am i going to combine my way of doing things my personality with real good value for what they need what their challenges are just Go back and do some good brainstorming. So when you go on this enormous task of creating an online course, you're doing it for the right reasons. If you want more tips and tactics and insights into human communication, then I am full of them. So head over to trishalewis.com for all my social media links and sign up for the fortnightly email so that you never miss a podcast episode and there's exclusive content there as well don't forget to check out my book the mystery of the squash cell and tune into the next episode it's time for
1: tea